0: Hello? Hello. <gasps> good morning, Calvin. Uh, thanks, Jonas. I, I'm definitely tired most of the time, but uh, as, give me one second here. All right. We're good to go. Okay, my name is Caleb, and I' going be, uh, I've been asked to preach today, and um, I'm the youth intern here at First Baptist Church and I was also told I can do whatever I want. So, before we kick this thing off with XYZ versus the youth group dodgeball, I want to share a little bit about... I'm kidding, we're not doing that. You guys can rest easy. I want to share a little bit about who I am and why I do what I do with the youths, and a little bit of my testimony. So, I was born in California to two awesome parents, And before you guys get up and leave, I know how some of you feel about California. Let me finish, okay? Um, A little while later, we moved back to Prineville, because my parents grew up here, um, when I was about six years old. And we started going to church here at First Baptist Church Prineville. So I've been going here a long time. Um, And growing up the way I did, I was really familiar with God and Jesus and the culture and the terminology surrounding that. So at our young age of 10, Uh, I decided I wanted to give my life to Jesus. Now, a 10-year-old can't fully grasp what uh, giving their life to Jesus really entails, the sacrifice and the commitment, but I still think this was a really important step in my walk with Christ. So about three years later, um, I started attending youth group here at First Baptist, and I really think that that's when Jesus started to pour gas on the fire of my faith. And about two years later, I went to youth group one night, and at the end of the night, me and my friends got a talking to by uh, Liz Myers. You might know her. Um, And she's the daughter of Dr. Noer, and the talk was not a good one. Um, It went something like either quit being selfish and start loving people or don't ever come back. And (laughs) this was one of the most terrifying moments in my life to date. However, anyone who knows Liz knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, look forward to when you get to have a talk with Liz. Anyways, looking back, it was a really impactful moment in my life because this began a new chapter in my walk with God. A little while after this talking, to, um, I was asked to join the leadership team for youth group. And in this group, I got the opportunity to get discipled with Jonas and some of my other friends, Alive and Kidden, if you know them, by Liz and AJ, um, who were leading the youth group at the time. And I believe that Jesus used this time in my life to teach me how to love other people and love my peers and youth sacrificially the same way that he loved me. And I got the privilege of being on this team all through high school, and it really changed my life. I think it's where I learned how to serve the kingdom and how to love people the way Jesus wants me to. Um, It was a few years later, um, this would have been summer after my junior year in high school, I got the opportunity to go to a camp where my dad was the guest speaker for another youth group and got the opportunity to simply sit and watch this youth group operate. Like, I didn't have to help, I didn't have to be involved, so I was sitting watching and I noticed how dedicated these leaders were to loving these youth. And how they just wanted them to know Jesus. And it was the same dedication that my leaders had shown me and that had really shaped my walk with Christ. Before I went to this camp, and that kind of blew my mind. So I was like, wow, this is awesome. Um, And before I went to this camp, like, I went there because it's summer after my junior year. I'm kind of like, what am I going to do with my life? At the time, I had a girlfriend. I was like, I'm going to marry that girl. I'm going to finish my associate's degree. I'm going to be a contractor and have a family. And it was at that camp that, for the first time, I really felt God say, I want you to do more with youth ministry. I remember sitting there and praying about what God wanted from me. And, I mean, before I was like, you know, I'll probably be, like, a youth group leader in high school and college, and I'll be, like, really cool because I'm young. Then I'm old, I'm done, you know? And I was sitting there, I was like, okay, God's really using these leaders to change these kids' lives. I felt like God was telling me we could do more here. We could do more with the kids in this town and we could lead them to Jesus and I felt like he was telling me he wanted me to be a part of that. So I remember driving home from Idaho, is where the camp was, and I whipped out my phone and I texted Eli, who was the youth director at the time, I was like, I want to lead games tonight because we were going to be back for youth group. And he was like, all right, you're leading games. And I led games and I like went all out. And I remember I was like, that was awesome. And that just like flipped the switch for me. And Eli started teaching me more. He was giving me the opportunity to teach youth group. I got to lead games every week, and it was awesome. Okay, and I really felt like I was where God wanted me to be. Later on in high school, it was my senior year, I thought I had it all figured out, right? I had this sweet toy to pick up, I had an awesome job, incredible group of friends, a girlfriend, I had people mentoring me, I had a 3.8 GPA, I was on track to graduate with my associate's degree, was pretty good at sports, I was incredible at Fortnite, which if you guys don't know what that is, it's a big deal, okay? (laughs) And it was around this time I was just like, I got this. Like, life is easy, right? And not for long, you know? And I, very shortly after that, a mentor of mine, uh, Scott Graham, you probably know him, he's a missionary of our church, he came back to town, he was a youth group leader when I was in 6th and 7th grade. And he challenged me to live my life for eternity and to live my life for Jesus in a radical way. He asked me, what are you willing to give up for Jesus? What are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? Because that's what Jesus demands of us. We'd be willing to give up everything, even our lives. And there was this time in my life when I started to pray and ask God, what do you want me to give up to follow you? And this led to me giving up things like the music I listen to, the clothes I wear, my money, where I spend my time, who I hang out with. And every time I gave something up, it was like a level up, like me and God got tighter. And I was like, this is awesome. And I just remember at this time, continue to pray. And I was like, okay, God, what's it gonna be next? Is it gonna be the, uh, the girlfriend? Is it gonna be leaving Prineville? What do you want me to give up? And I still was like, I'm gonna be a youth group leader for life, but it's not gonna be my career. And I felt God at that time be like, Okay, you're standing on the edge of the cliff with this youth ministry. It's time to jump off. That's going to be your life. You need to say goodbye to all that other stuff because it doesn't matter, and you need to pour into these kids. And I was like, let's do it. So since then, I've been pouring into the youth ministry here at FPC. And I run the show now, which is terrifying because it feels like yesterday I was that little scared boy getting a talking to from Liz. And, but... It's and I feel like that's where God's called me to be, and I feel like that's really where my relationship with God took off, and I love the opportunity to potentially help kids grow closer in their relationship with God and share the gospel with them. And we're incredibly blessed right now. Um, we got a bunch of awesome—well, not a bunch. We have a few awesome youth group leaders. Uh, We have an awesome new youth group room. Uh, We get 30 to 40 kids every Tuesday night who come to hear about Jesus, which is huge, and— so that's just praise, because you've got to celebrate. You celebrate the wins in the youth ministry, I've learned, or you're never going to make it. So that's a little bit about me and my story and why I do what I do. And today, I'm going to to preach. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 13. And you might want to turn there, because I didn't make any slides, because I think Satan always messes with the projectors, so I didn't want to do it. So we're going to go old school today, All right. I'm going to drink some water while you guys find it. All right. Here we go. But before we dive into this particular verses, I'm going to take a look at the greater context we find this passage in. Because context is key, no matter what Joel Osteen says. Okay. All right? So 1 Timothy is a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor um, overseeing a church in Ephesus and Paul left him there to oversee it, okay? So, 1 Timothy is essentially a bunch of instructions that Paul is giving to Timothy, because he couldn't just text him. And Tom, is Tom here? Tom was texting me a minute ago, so. Hi, Tom, in the live stream. Anyway, um, so Paul couldn't just text Timothy, so he wrote him this letter of instructions on how to guide this church he was overseeing. So why is this applicable to us? So. We can glean a lot from this letter, even though we find ourselves roughly 2,000 years after it was written, we're still a part of Christ's church and find ourselves faced with many of the same issues that Timothy was faced with with his church um, back in the day. So here's the passage, we're gonna read it again. Well, part of it, not the whole thing. Abby, thanks for reading, by the way, so. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching." So what we have here in this section is instruction given to Timothy by Paul on how we should act like people who have set their hope in the living God, he says in verse 10. However, not only does Paul tell us to tell Timothy to teach these things, he doesn't tell him to gently suggest these things. He tells him to command these things in verse 11. That is, to instruct people in them as if they were laws. So conveniently, what we have is a list of instructions for how we should act as people who have put their hope in the living God or have put their hope in Jesus, which is great because I think most of you would say you have. So this is perfect, all right? So you may read this as people who have put your hope in Jesus and you go, well, this is written to Timothy and Timothy is a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I don't have to worry about any of this. I don't get paid to be a Christian, you know? All I have to do is slap my Jesus is my co-pilot sticker on the back of my minivan, and I've got a one-way ticket to heaven, okay? And to read it like that, I would say you've missed the point, because we've already seen that these are things that Paul is telling Timothy to command of the congregation. So I think this applies to everyone, not just the pastor, so then you may read it and you say, okay, maybe the first half applies to me. But that next part says, don't let people despise you for your youth. And I'm not a young person, so all the youth can worry about that one. But I think that's also missed the point of what Paul's trying to say. I think what Paul is actually trying to say is to lead by example. Anyone in this room who has ever led anything knows, like whether it be at work, at school, at church, or just on the playground, knows that the only way to effectively lead people is to lead them through example. So I think what Paul is really trying to say here is, hey, don't only command don't only command that people do these things, but do them yourself. So that people will see that you mean what you say through your actions, right? And I think what he's also saying is that if people are going to say that they have put their hope in the living God, then they better act like it. Right? So let me give you an example. If I was to lead youth group by every time Matt Fisher gets up to teach, i throw stuff at him and scream the whole time. What would the kids do? They'd throw stuff at him and scream the whole time, right? But if I led them by listening to Matt respectfully, then they would think, oh, maybe I should listen respectfully. Or if I led the youth group leaders, cause I have to lead the old people too, which is also scary, um, and I was like alright I want you guys to show up every Tuesday 30 minutes early I want you to be prepared and I didn't even show up to youth group they would probably think it was totally fine to not show up to youth group or not show up prepared right and we can even look to Jesus when we want to talk about leading by example Jesus led by example he, obey, he tells us to obey God and he obeyed God the point of death on a cross he tells us to love the least of these he went around the whole time loving the least of these right so Paul is not just saying that the young people should lead by example, but that everyone who claims to have put their hope in the living God should lead and also live their lives by example. So I'm going to proceed with the understanding that these commandments Paul gives Timothy to give to the congregation apply to all of us young and old, whether we're the pastor or just a member of the church. So first, what's the first thing Paul tells us to do there in verse 7? Paul's first instruction to the people who follow Jesus is this have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. So what does Paul mean by this? Well, this is not the first time that Paul warns Timothy about this. In chapter 1, he says part of the reason you were left there at Ephesus is in order to keep people on track. To make sure that people keep the main thing the main thing because the congregation will devote themselves to things of this world, things that are not Jesus. So part of Timothy's job here is to make sure that they don't chase after things that don't really matter and set their eyes on Jesus, to not get distracted by whatever it may be, politics, money, conspiracy theories, cars, whatever it is. Paul's first commandment as people who follow Jesus is to keep our eyes on Jesus and not get distracted by the things of this world. Paul's second commandment in that second half of verse seven We'll call it 7.5, is to, to rather train yourselves in godliness rather than devoting yourself to things of this world. Train yourself in godliness. Why? Because if we truly believe in the gospel that Jesus came to save the lost and that one day we will be with him in his new creation and that sickness, death, disease, injustice, it's all going to be done and will be defeated and that our king will reign victorious and make all things right, then our lives in this present momentary reality better reflect that. right? Someone give me an amen. For yeah. <laughs> now, sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we don't think we need to work at our relationship with God, right? That's just going to happen. God's going to take care of it. We find ourselves wondering why God won't make us happy or joyful or we're not really feeling it right now. Now, maybe that's because we won't put in the work or the training required because the relationship goes both ways. Anyone who's been in a relationship knows this. In order for anyone to get out Anything out of it, you both have to put into it. Now, Paul uses the example of bodily training. Anyone in here who has ever exercised on a regular basis knows that most days you do not want to get up and go to the gym and lift weights. You do not want to step outside and go for a run. But if you only work out when you feel like it, you're never going to make any progress. And the same thing applies to your relationship with God. There are going to be days you don't want to get up and read your Bible. There's going to be days you do not want to get up and go to church. There's going to be days you don't want to pray. You're going to be days you do not want to love people. But just like exercising or any relationship, your relationship with Jesus requires dedication and sacrifice and commitment. Just like exercising. But the encouraging thing is, is that even when we don't show up, Jesus is always going to show up. He is always willing to invest in us. He is always ready to talk. He is always willing to help you train. You just have to be willing to invest as well. Jesus is not going to make you show up, but he's always going to be there. He's the ultimate gym partner, right? However, this training, this investiture is not like bodily training in that it's not only good in the here and now, Paul says, right? Because these bodies are going to waste away. This training, godly training and godliness, is going to last to the next existence, into eternity. And it's to this end that we toil and strive, Paul says in verse 10. We work and we train and we toil and we sweat and we cry and we bleed and we get up and do it again. Why? For the hope that when we get to the end, we will be able to stand unashamed in front of our king. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that people will know that we truly believe through our actions, through our training. So rather, train yourselves in godliness because if we truly believe, if you and I truly believe in the gospel, Jesus came to save the lost, and one day we're going to be with him in a new creation, then our lives in this present momentary reality better reflect that truth. That is to come in Jesus' eternal reality. And that's why we train. So all that other stuff, right? All those other things that distract you, they can't go through the door with you. So like we heard last week from our lovely father in Matthew, Right? Treasures in heaven, baby. It's what my mom's always telling me. Anyway. So why, it doesn't make any sense that if we really believe that, that we would spend so much time chasing after things that are not gonna last. Now, when I was writing this sermon, when I started to write it, the whole point was to look at how youth should fit in to the church, how youth should follow God, and how we as older believers should treat the youth, right? Now, there's going to be a couple of different groups. So if you're a kid and you want to follow God, what does that look like for you, right? You guys got it pretty easy. All you got to do, well, it's not super easy, but it's, kind of, it's easier than what I have to do. You just need to obey your parents. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. That's God's commandment to you kids. Obey your parents. And you might be saying, our parents probably paid Caleb to say that, didn't they? No, they did not, okay? When I was going to children's church here at FBC, Gabe Hendricks told me to memorize those verses and to put them into practice. He said, you want to follow God as a kid? That's all you got to do, okay? And you may be asked yourself, why, Caleb? Why would I want to do that? Well, I'm about to tell you. One, your parents are way smarter than you, believe it or not, okay? And they, they love you a lot, and they want what's best for you, Okay? Two, when you, if you keep following God, later in your life, you're going to have to obey him. And you're going to have to obey him whether you think he has your best intents at, my, at heart, I don't know, whatever. Whether you think... I totally lost my track of thought there. Sorry, guys. You're going to have to learn to obey God as your heavenly father, right? And if you're already good at obeying your parents, you're going to be set, right? Because when you, Your faith is challenged. You're gonna be ready to take the right road and follow God if you learn to obey your parents now. So kids, listen to your parents. I know, it's crazy. All right, now for the youth. If you wanna follow God, your job gets a little trickier. You're gonna have to keep obeying your parents. we are gonna add a thing. You need to start training in godliness. You need to start pursuing a relationship with God. Start reading your Bible, start praying. Find someone to disciple you. If you don't have someone to disciple you, come to youth group, okay? It's what we're all about. You don't want to come to youth group? Just come talk to me. Grab a leader. Grab Matt. Grab Jonas. Grab Jen. Grab Heidi. Okay? Because life gets a lot harder. And now is your opportunity as a youth to build your house, your relationship with Jesus on the rock, right, before the storm comes, before life gets nuts. So that your relationship with God is going to last. So start training now before life gets hard. Now for the adults, you probably, most of you probably don't need to listen to your parents anymore. I'm going to keep listening to mine because I like it. But you do need to persist in training because what happens when you stop training? You're going to get out of shape and you don't want your relationship to Jesus to be out of shape. That's ridiculous. So our job, I'm going to say, is the trickiest of all because I think whether we realize it or not, we're all charged with leading by example. We're all an example to someone younger than us, be it your sons, your daughters, your grandkids, your little brothers, your little sisters, and they're gonna look to you to show them how to live their life and to show them how to follow Jesus. So first, if you're gonna claim to follow Jesus, then you had better reflect that in your life, especially when you know that there are young people who wanna follow Jesus watching. Because how can I expect the guys I'm discipling to come to church or read their Bible or give up things for God if I won't even do it. It Doesn't make any sense. So we are all charged with setting an example. Secondly, when it comes to treating the youth, that was reason one, how you should treat the youth as an old believer, by the way. Second point, um, I would urge you to invest in the youth. The youth are the future of God's church, right? We're all gonna die eventually. I hate to break it to you, and if there's no youth to take over, it's not going to be great. So invest in the youth, because they're the future of the church. We have 30 to 40 kids on a Tuesday night. We have a whopping four leaders, okay? That's an awful ratio. Ask Matt. He's a math teacher, okay? It's a bad ratio. There are kids who show up every Tuesday, and they want to hear about Jesus, and I cannot disciple them all, Okay? So invest in the youth. If you feel God, I'm giving you an opportunity right now. If you feel God pulling on your heart today to invest in the youth, come talk to me. If you don't feel God pulling on your heart, come talk to me anyway, because we are desperate. (laughs) Okay? So that's what I would leave you with. Invest in the youth. That's all I got for you today. Did I go too fast? That's fine. All right, we're good. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back up. And uh, thanks for listening to me. Hopefully it wasn't scarring. Hopefully I get to talk again someday. Oh, yeah, hold on. I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to speak. Um, I pray that someone got something out of it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to set an example for the youth to be willing to give up anything to follow you, Lord, because you're worth it. Uh, Just thank you for this day. I pray everyone has a great rest of their day. In Jesus' name, amen. And this is for Ridley. Chongo Chuck is beast.